I'll be calling the roll now. Trustee Lugianani? Jim, are you on mute? Trustee Lugianani, are you there? Present. I was on mute. Can, does someone hear me? Yes. Trustee okay. Here. Trustee Lawrence. Here. We have a quorum. Excellent. All right. Um, welcome to the May 4th Finance Committee meeting. Um, thank you for, um, uh, Susanna, for arranging this uh, nice teleconference. So I think we have a full agenda, so we'll get right to it. Um, tab number one. Um, I would move to accept the minutes from the April 6th Finance Committee meeting. I have a second. I second. Okay. All in favor, aye. 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 Okay. Sounds like that we've got approved, Susanna. Yeah. And good. Let's get on to tab number two, which is the um, uh, contract approval for the extension with RADCARE. I move approval. Um, of, I move approval. Okay. Is there a second? I second. Is there any discussion? Uh, anything that management wants to discuss? Um, okay. Just that uh, I'll say that this is being put in place so we can work out a uh, transition uh, plan, and the transition plan is uh, underway and on track. So, yes. Okay. Um, one one question, Dave. Um, I know that we the number of contract extensions has been declining over time. Um, do you want to uh, a little bit? Do you have a brief update on where we are in terms of uh, moving more towards um, you know, kind of more permanent approvals of contracts? Um, sure, and sitting next to me is our uh, Vice President of Contracting, Ira Hawley. Um, I think we've made significant progress on getting the contracting process organized and staffed. Um, just recently, we've been spending a lot of time with our uh, interim chief medical officer, Joe Walker, uh, talking about the process. We've uh, got a complete inventory sorted by uh, termination date on these, and we're now getting ahead of the game in terms of getting analysis, uh, giving the information to Dr. Walker uh, in advance so that he has time to work with the uh, chairs, it's the service chiefs in the various departments. So I think we're making good progress. Okay. And I know at one point we talked about um, just getting an um, update on the, pro on the contracting process from IRA, so I'll let you, um, you know, let me know when that might when when you might be ready for that, but I think that would be interesting. Good, we'll put that on the agenda. Okay, great. Yeah. All right. Any other comments from anyone? Okay. All in favor, aye. 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 Opposed? Extensions? Okay. Sounds like we got a unanimous approval. Okay. We're doing great here. Um, no. Nothing retrospective. Uh, do, will we do some retrospectives in the um, at the next meeting, Dave? Uh, I don't think so. I think we're planning to. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a calendar coming up at the end, but I don't believe we have any coming up. Okay. Well, in any case, we got um we got the budget coming up, so that's going to soak, soak up a lot of time. That's All right. right. Okay. Then let's get on to 
I like this. We're 25 minutes ahead of schedule. Um, let's talk about operating. Uh, tab for operators, operations. Okay, so now we're in the operating report. Uh, the first thing up is the uh, uh, system reliability or integrity issue. Uh, there is a write-up on there, and we're prepared to give you an update. Uh, the term reliability in accounting has a particular significance because when you come to the audit, one of the things that the auditor will uh, be talking about is, are these financial statements reliable? So when the CPA comes in and says, gee, we have concerns about reliability, that has a certain significance that should get your attention. Um, normally, um, uh, in a computer system, um, <clears throat> everything is automated and the system ties out to the pinning. Uh, we have a particular circumstance here where uh, we're, we're sort of suffering from a very poor implementation to the aware of. Um, a year ago, we dealt with uh, a lot of the issues um, uh, establishing what's called a source of truth. So in accounting, there's a general ledger, but all the numbers have to tie to a document of record. And uh, when I first arrived here, we didn't really have that. We didn't have it tied. So one of the efforts was to establish that, that source of truth, the document of record, which we did. Uh, which was this report called the Daily Control Report, which is inside of the billing system, storing financials. Uh, and even at that time, it was recognized that uh, some of the uh, transactions that came over uh, weren't tying out. So I've got a, a visual here for you to give you an idea. A little hard to read, but essentially, you start with the balance of receivables, and then you have revenues and adjustments and bad debts and payments. And these, all this activity happens in Sorian and they're passed over to the general ledger. Now, those should tie out, okay? Uh, they haven't. So what we've done is said, well, this, this document is a source of truth, so what's gonna happen in the month, we're going to adjust all the entries over here to tie to that. And we've been doing that. And the thought was at the time, we'll put in a change request, that will eventually get fixed. Okay, How well, long back was uh, a year ago, year, like January a year ago. Uh, well, actually, that never actually did get fixed, okay? But we, we went along with it, and then it passed audit and everything. But, and, excuse me, David. Yeah. So, you, in May, the, the control, um, you said the daily report was the document yes. versus the general ledger. And yes. Is, is that typical, or is, I mean, how? Yeah, normally, they're one and the same. Should be no variances. Right. It should not be an issue. There shouldn't be a variance. Should not be an issue. But when there is a variance, what takes priority? Uh, the source of truth, whatever we just established as the document of record, which in this case is the daily control report concerning financials. So that's the true number. Okay. Dave, how did you decide that that the daily control report was the source of truth? But what made you think that was the most reliable? Uh, we brought in Cerner as part of our larger revenue cycle improvement program. We raised this issue because before this we were sort of triangulating and, and doing our best guess. We said, no, no, we have to have source of truth. And after all of the technical experts looked at it, uh, Sorian or Cerner recommended um, this document, and we agreed with that, and that was signed off on it. We agreed to use that. Okay. Now, so we're going on doing that, and then we come to February. And we had a separate problem, which is right here. It's 2.5 million dollars. So what happened there is on about uh, February 23rd, uh, a script was run trying to correct what's called this zombie receivable issue. It's kind of a side side issue, but the script did not work. It 
sort of blew up. And it caused this other unexplained and unreconciled variance. So at that time, you know, of course, we reported everything. Uh, but we sort of by the end of the month, and, and uh, we said, well, um, <clears throat> you know, what are we going to do with it? So we're, everybody's working to fix that. But we went ahead and published financial statements at that time, realizing that the net effect is probably 20% of the difference, 20% of that number, so about $480,000. Um, uh, so, excuse me again, it, so it, every month there is the reconciliation between the two? Yes, yes. And so when, let's say there's three million off, you yeah. get... Yeah, so, so, so in this month we would have reconciled the 212 so that it ties, but we didn't know what to do with this. Because now the daily control report is out of balance with itself. Oh. So there goes our source of truth. Now we're sort of floating. Okay. Now at the time we're trying to figure out the problem and it's represented that you know we think there can be a fix. And so lo and behold, in March uh, there was another script run, uh, March 28th, and uh, not only didn't fix it, but uh, sort of made it worse. And that's this number here, the 24 million dollars. So that's the reason that as of the end of March we're a little uncertain as to where we are. So it's not the it's not the comparison between the data report and the general ledger, but rather the, the internal in the sort in the yes, Syrian yes, issue. Yes, I which see. is a much different issue. Now yes, there's been, as you can imagine, there's been a ton of work being done over this and lots of people looking at it. And the latest update as of uh, today, and Dave can correct me if I mistake this. But um, Cern has represented that they uh, are finding things that they can't yet explain. Uh, they have said that the operational database is out of sync with the reporting database. Uh, they've acknowledged that the, those scripts that were run on those dates have sort of corrupted the system. Uh, they're working hard to fix it. They have said they don't yet understand the problems. But obviously, they're working very hard to understand them. And they believe that once they do, they will be able to propose changes and training and a new process so that we will be able to reconcile. Um, they're currently unable to give us a timeline for that, but we're continuing to have daily, almost twice daily calls on this issue so that we can resolve it. Now, um, the implications from the board perspective are, you know, anytime you have a full reliability issue, that should get your attention. Um, we are obviously working on reconciling this so that when I give you a set of financial statements, I can represent that there it's information that you can rely upon. When we get to the audit, the auditor will look at this issue and say, what is your justification for booking this entry? And to the extent that we don't have a good answer, that will be an issue that gets discussed and may end up being a management letter comment. Um, I don't think that it will rise to the level of a materiality issue where they say, gee, we can't give you an opinion, that would be a real problem. But it's something that obviously we want to resolve before we get there, so it's not a problem. So, uh, Dave, do you have any uh, comments? Um, no. So, I mean, if when it, when the operational and reporting, oh, sorry, when these two are out of sync, is it like an implementation issue on our end that's causing, like, the, the, the sinking? Uh, the, the internal out of balances that happened in February and March are the result of the scripting activities that we did. 
and so there was some transactions to go through to, to fix this. Zombie accounts, as we're calling them, were essentially got reactivated that should not have been reactivated, but were with the process that happened. We went through and fixed those. It made internally out of bounds because the reporting database got corrupted. So the transactions happened halfway, essentially. So they were posted on one half of the ledger, but not on the other half, and that's what caused this internal out of bounds condition, both in February and in March. So are these coding issues within the company? No, it's a. Um, when a script was run, it didn't complete its process completely. So it did it halfway. So what went to the general ledger was correct in the scripting, but what happened to the reporting database was wrong. So all the transactions flowed correctly through to the GL of, of, that, of those 2.5 and the $24 million values, but it didn't update the reporting database correctly. And, and where is Cerner located? Uh, this specific group is in Melbourne, Pennsylvania. That's a horse and do you have tickets to Pennsylvania? No, but we have uh, multiple phone calls a day and uh, multiple reportings happening a day on, on this specific issue where we're at. Okay. And a lot of review of what happened specifically in that scripting and, and how, we, how we're going to fix it and what changes need to be made. So in your, in your history, sorry, Michelle, but No, no, that's okay. I, I mean, we could go and camp on their doorstep. I mean, if, if this is going on for two months, does, isn't that a concern? Well, it sounds like it's been going on for longer than two months. Mm -hmm. It's become especially noticeable in the past two months. Am I correct, Dave? In your yeah. Dave? Yeah. yeah, there are multiple problems, but the, you know, um, they should all be fixed, but the big one's been To the, to the larger thing about the comparison between the data control and the ledger. When, assuming that the data control was accurate, let's assume that for the sake of the conversation at this point, when they don't match, and they should, but when they don't, it is that's considered a write-off? And well, what, I mean, what do you do? Do you, do you keep working so that it matches up. I mean, how how is that reconciled? Yes, yeah, it's called a reconciling entry. Uh, it's not exactly right after not losing anything, but we're saying, wait a minute, the numbers over here, these should all be zeros, all the way down. Uh, so there'd be adjusting journal entries to tie the general ledger back to these numbers, so that mm -hmm. it ties up.
triangulated, uh, and that obviously was not acceptable. So we put this process in place, thinking that um, you know we would find the reason for these mm -hmm. and get them fixed so they didn't become zero, but it never got fixed. Mm -hmm. of where we stand. The reason we're giving you craft financials is I'm not exactly certain. And, and I mean, so, so, so not that, I mean, the current, I say this, not that it is ever the case that any sort of uh, uh, variance is uh, uh, acceptable. There are gradations to that, obviously. And so, um, as, as is being indicated here, a variance. This is altered gross uh, charges. So as we talked earlier today, we talked a couple of times, there are adjustments to gross that actually get into net. And so when you look, David made a comment earlier to say, you know, if the gross is off by X amount, you could take probably anywhere up to about 30 to 40% of that and say, that's where the potential material impact could be in terms of uh, how much of that might be uh, might be actual uh, differences between what we are expecting to receive and what we actually do receive. So when that number is in the hundreds of thousands of dollars, and then you bring that down to the tens of thousands, not still not comfortable. But when it's the tens of thousands versus hundreds of thousands or even millions, when the number gets much higher, then it's very yeah right. And there are certain things you can do uh, to say, uh, I'm, I'm going to be conservative about what's happening here uh, so until I, so, so I'm on the other side of the risk ledger to, to, to until I can figure out what's actually going on. Uh, but you know, the fact is that you, you, you are still uncomfortable about what, what's going so, on. So there's like a reasonable range of the proceedings to be. So right now we're standing way over here on the get to them, it's more likely to be an improvement than And that variation, like February is 2.4 million, and then it shoots up in March, and then it's come down to like, so any idea like hey, this is like so up and down? Yeah, that, that big variance in March is because of the script that was run to address the zombie town issue that did it halfway, so of that, of that 24 million, 22 million of that, we, we know for sure is the transactions that were done halfway in the reporting system. Okay. Done completely in the GL, but only halfway in the reporting system. So what was the commitment to, to fix it? I mean, what, what, what was the timeline for remediation for casing? What did they say? Yeah, so the timeline currently is un unknown because as we've identified through, through this process, so we've not only looked at the, the 24 million and the 2.5 million, we're looking at the 315,000 from January as well, saying the system shouldn't have these kind of problems. Help us understand what's happening there, what's going on. We are, we've addressed 
much of what's on the screen, but we still haven't completed it, so it's hard to tell you exactly what's left out that's not done, but there are still some items that have not been identified and they don't know the root cause of those yet. So when that was new information today that we found out, and so that's why it's today we don't currently have that timeline because we don't know, we haven't heard back from them the root cause of those specific differences. And can I, can I assume, and I know these are big companies, et cetera, can, can I assume that the principal partners of this organization are aware of this issue? Yes. And what's their name and address? Uh, Dick Flanagan in Melbourne, Pennsylvania is the president of Cerner HS, who's been involved in this process and Dick. communicated with. Okay. Uh, Steve Nutt is the vice president over the revenue cycle process. Uh, he, he's been involved in the call as well. And Mike Long is our executive sponsor for AHS within Cerner HS that we work with on a routine basis that I communicate with routinely. So have you talked to them? Yes. Uh, That's including what I today, uh, but what uh, I a, a series of exchanges over the weekend, uh, um, over the course of the week, involved with the team and underscoring the uh, unacceptable nature of where we are now and uh, impressing upon them the agency update is fixed and uh, uh, really working with the team to keep pressure on and uh, uh, make sure that we can get to uh, a place of comfort as quickly as possible because we're not comfortable right now. So we're looking, we're looking at how do we help them to help us, uh, uh, and also, quite honestly, uh, exploring other alternatives as, as, as well with respect to uh, help, further helping them to understand the unacceptable nature and the urgency of this, uh, uh, which you know, could be up to and including plane tickets in either direction uh, to, to get up. Okay, we're going to move on to the uh, agenda. Not so fast. I have a few, a few <laughs> questions. <laughs> a few questions. Um, the, um, what, one thing um, I, I imagine you're, you know, you're, you're focused on getting it fixed, but I, I would be curious to know at some point, you know, what, what's the cumulative uh, size of the um, discrepancy that we've had to you know, write, off, I mean, write off over time. And don't need to know that now, but at some point. Um, I assume you're going to come back to the committee and report on um, what are the fixes that are done, right? Yes. And, and I think what would really be, so I, I'm assuming that the, you know, the, the fixes are it's going to be a combination of Technology, process, maybe training, maybe people, but it's probably going to be. I mean, no one thing caused, no one thing created this, so there's no one solution. But I assume that the fixes are going to be all part of that. And I, I'd also be very interested to know what have we learned, so that um, I mean, there's a wonderful opportunity here to learn, so that we don't do it again, <laughs> right? I think it makes me wonder that if we found it in this, is there like an extra level of rigor that's being used to make sure that, oh my goodness, February we found it in the daily control report. Where else might this be happening? Is that a possibility? Or like, you know, or is there any extra 
uh, the you know vigilance or a rigor that's happening uh, from you know to see that it's this is not widespread across other other counting things as well. Do I? And I you can have the language. I don't know exactly. Yeah, you know, I, I, I think that we are we're trying to take this in a graduated fashion just based off of the realities of how much it takes to actually do this work. Uh, so we want to at least uh, start with a let's, let's at least understand what's going on now and try to fix it so that we can retrospectively say for the most recent ones that we're all on the same page with respect to the truth in uh, the numbers. Then we can go to Okay, so what adjustments, if any, we need to make um, uh, as a result of that to get to that point? And then the third part is, what is the permanent solution to this? So what are the solutions that allow us to have an automated uh, ability to do this sort of reconciliation, which we should be able to get? Uh, um, and uh, even beyond that, if that's, if that's a fix just for this current environment, as David has reported both in his memo and other settings, um, uh, we have reached the point where it's, it's all but certain that we have to do a reinstall and rebuild with this. And so we need to uh, get some uh, consensus around the best way to do that and who to work with to do that so that we can have the type of uh, assurances, accountabilities, uh, and uh, uh, comfort that, that actually happens uh, appropriately on a go forward basis. And as Jim said, it involves all those factors. It's the technology, it's the training, it's the processes, and people as well. John Becchio, is there, is there a domino that that we should be worried about relative to, um, I suppose I'm thinking about stopping of discretionary spending in the event that yeah. you discover that it doesn't, you know, David David's operating a conservative, but mm -hmm. if it tips the other way, we continue to go and the hole gets deeper while we reconcile this. Yeah. How, I, how do you? So I, I'd ask uh, uh, David to, to weigh in here as well, but I'd say from what I have been able to discern from the team uh, about you know the scale uh, uh, of this, uh, this is all revenue uh, reporting, so it's, uh, it's non-cash. Uh, the cash balance is a cash balance. Cash is actual dollars in the door, and so that's why we're able to say this doesn't have, uh, this doesn't have any impact on what we've reported as cash to date or net negative balance, um, um, where we are on that uh, continuum as well in terms of working capital. Um, but, you know, it's, it, is, it is a precursor to that, so we need to monitor it. I don't, I'm not at the point now where I think it's, that material um, and that uh, uh, it would actually get to the point where those numbers are so much so that we would have to adjust our actual practices on the day-to-day -day basis and its measures to, to account for the uncertainty. Uh, that's that's not where I am right now. I, I concur. Okay. I concur. No, I wouldn't be there yet. We'll Can't, can't hear you. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I think we're done, Jim. Can we move on to the, want to move on to the next one? Okay, actually, one more question, then we can. Um, I was just curious, 
I mean, it sounds like, I mean, um, why wasn't it ticked up? I mean, why wasn't it ticked up in the last audit if there have been all these reconciling? I mean, it sounds like reconciling entries have been going on for a while. Why wasn't it ticked up? Um, well, it passed audit because we adjusted to the source of truth and the auditor was satisfied that we had done that. Uh, whether, or not should have, whether or not there should have been a, a comment of some sort that, you know, there are system issues that you should look at is, uh, you know. All right. Mm. Well, okay. Um, well, anyway, I just encourage management to, you know, not only fix it, but find, you know, as much as possible extract opportunities to um, uh, learn in a, in a positive way from this. So. Um, Very good. Thanks. So, so I'm, I'm, I, my, my questions are over. If everyone else is, then why don't we move on? Okay. Um, I'm up to the uh, fourth page in the presentation, which is really just kind of giving you an uh, overall summary of what we're going to be talking about. So these are things that are important to note in the report today. Uh, so the first thing is that we're reporting for nine months. <clears throat> so we're three-fourths of the way through the year. We have three more months to go. Um, draft statements, but uh, I think they're usable for our purposes. Um, you'll see that we had a very good month, despite everything, in March. And so year to date, uh, and I'm going to go through this in some detail, particularly after the uh, discussion we had earlier in the education session. Uh, year okay. and, and Dave, I'm sorry, you're on the uh, PowerPoint slide, slide that you yeah. sent to me? Yeah, I am. Uh, okay. Or, pa or page 11 on the package. Um, oh, page 11 on the package, okay. Yeah, so uh, year to date, we've got 17 million in uh, income, which is just below the budget, and we've got an EBITDA margin so far of 4%. Now, the budget for it is 4.4, so we're a little behind, but close. Last year was minus 1.3 at this point. And uh, revenues are actually favorable at this point, so we'll talk a little bit about revenues. And uh, next thing is that um, Cash collections have actually been pretty good. Um, cash year-to-date as a percent of net revenue is 106%. Now, that's a key ratio. And normally, you want to see cash at or above net revenue. If it's less, then, then that's another reason you'd be more conservative with receivables. I know if we're not getting the cash that we're looking as revenue, then you know we might have a mistake there. But the fact that we're over is good news. Um, also, that's one of the reasons you'll see on the balance sheet that the, uh, the net days and accounts receivable have declined since the beginning of the year. And 72 is a big improvement over 90 where it was uh, in June. We'd like to be in the 60s. We'll see how that goes. Um, and accounts payable are, are good. Uh, we've um, reduced them on a year-to-date basis and we're current with our vendors. Uh, we are in compliance with the permit agreement. It's current, David. Thirty days, sixty day. What is current? What is uh, forty-five, forty-five to sixty. Forty-five to sixty. Yeah, yeah. And then we're going to give you a report on the uh, the budget process. So that's just a just a high level overview. Okay. Now I'd like to talk about this. Now this chart is taken from page nineteen of your package, which is the income statement. And sorry, Dave, which page are you on? Just um, on the. Um, Package on page 19 on the PowerPoint uh, on page um, six. Six, five, I think. Five. 
five. Yeah. It says year-to-date financial performance draft on top. Yes, yes. So, so what I've okay. done here on page 19 is I've, I've taken just the year-to-date section. So I've, I've taken off the monthly. Monthly is obviously important, but I really want to focus on uh, year-to-date. And as um, Ellen described earlier, um, uh, this report is all about the effectiveness of operations. Okay, how effective are we at generating revenue? What's our volumes? And how effective we effective are we at converting revenue into surplus cash that can then be used for other things, strategic purposes? Okay. So what this is indicating is that for this year. We're actually over budget on revenue, so we have a 19 million more revenue than we anticipated to have at this point. So that's 2.9 percent variance. I think this is maybe we're ahead last month, but we had really strong revenues. And so one question you might have is, well, where's that revenue coming from? And um, several places. One is the, the patient activity, which I didn't put on here, it's put on page 19, has been uh, pretty strong. Um, and uh, ambulatory business have picked up, uh, census has been strong. Uh, but the real improvement here is in supplemental revenue, where we have a positive variance now of $24 million. So these are things like Measure A, being uh, sales taxes are higher than uh, expected. Uh, we have um, uh, Medi-Cal waiver funds is coming better, and several other programs. So that's that's pretty good. And we've been conservative at the beginning of the year and now that we see that money coming in, we're starting to book that revenue. Um, the other thing to note is when you compare that to last year, uh, we had $220 million of supplemental revenue. This year we're at 232 so we picked up about $12 million. Okay? And total revenue has grown from 615 to 675 So that's an increase of $60 million, or about 10%. That's, that's really significant growth. Now, I don't think for planning purposes we can expect to do that well in the future, but this year is turning into a good year for revenue. Uh, obviously, we're trying to maintain and do that better. Um, now, the other thing you'll see is that um, operating expenses are over budget. So, actual 658, budget 638, last year was 633. So, we're about 3% budget year to date. But some of that's volume related. We have had uh, good patient activity. And then the result of all that is that our operating income is 17.4, the budget's 18, but last year was 17.7. Uh, now, with that- 70.7 in the other direction. Loss, <laughs> loss, right? right. Yeah, now we, we talked a lot about this EBITDA margin, which we, we now recognize as sort of the surplus cash that we generate every year that can be used for investments. And again, the way you get there is you, you would take this 17 million and you would add back interest, which is very small, but essentially add back depreciation. So you take the 17, you add back the 10, that gives you 27, and then you divide by the revenue. And that works out to 4%. The budget was 4.4. Last year, this time, we were so we've done, we've improved 5.3%. We want to do 6% for the year, but we have three months to go, and we're performing pretty well. So for the month of 
um, March, which is not on here, we actually had an even March of 9%. And some of that's bringing in these reserves, but that's going to continue through the end of the year, assuming we control expenses and nothing, uh, no surprises happen. We, we actually have a shot at achieving budget because we're only 640000 behind at this point. Um, so the rest of these are like ratios, the collection ratio is important, 31%, the budget is 30.6, so you can see we did better overall there. That's primarily due to the supplemental reimbursements. Um, these ratios are important down here. This has to do with labor expenses. So um, we had expected to have 4,119 paid uh, full-time equivalents as paid FTEs, which is something we all talked about. Um, that's that 2,080 hours, that is one FTE, for 3,962. Last year at this time we were 3,966, so actually four less than last year. This includes registries, even though our volumes have Ratio basis, and this is this paid FTs for AOB. AOB is adjusted occupied bed. Uh, and the lower is better. Has gone from 5.23 down to 4.73. That's a 10.6% improvement in a year. So that's a combination of keeping staffing down and the volume Really good. Yeah. When I got on the board, those figures were around 6, 5, yes. 9. We've been steadily ratcheting yeah. down. One of the things Jim, I know, wants is uh, some trend information so you can see this over time. We're in the process of putting those together yeah. so we'll be able to see way back and where we've come from. It's pretty interesting. Um, David, I have a question on the supplemental. Um, it's clear that, that part of our budget is dependent on those on the supplemental revenues. Yes. Um, is there, when do you anticipate? The, or is there an anticipation of the cutting off of particular revenue sources? Um, <clears throat> yeah, we, we've got a long-term forecast on supplementals that goes year by year for the next five years. The, the big change would be the loss of the Medi-Cal waiver um, four years from now. Four years from now. Yeah, but there are other programs as well that have some ups and downs. I, do, I, I will come back in the budget process later this month and give you the details. Uh, and so, and, and so, while you know that that's declining, you're also then compensating in the budget issue of you know, the reduction or increase of revenue based on the loss of the supplements. Yeah, and the other thing is, as you recall, I mean, the reason we're getting the wet Medi-Cal waiver money uh, is not just to subsidize us; it's to transform the system. That's right. System. That's right. And, to and, and in particular, to allow us to yeah to be population. So one of the things we'll look at in our revenue forecast, if we can do this, is well, um, <clears throat> you know, if we can take risk for groups of population and effectively implement a care coordination process, then the utilization of services goes down, which means we have more capacity, which means we can ensure more people, which means our revenue goes up while the expenses are down. David, you know what's most scary? Yeah. Frightening? Is that I'm starting to understand this. <laughs> 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 that, I mean, that yeah. is really frightening. <laughs> 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 David, 
you know, burst of supplemental revenue because the expenses, you know, were, uh, were higher. Mm -hmm. So what are we doing for the, you know, the, per, the purchase? The cons is that the consulting services, the mm -hmm. purchase services, the pharmaceuticals? Those are the big ones, yeah. right? The expense ones. And even, um, so are those kind of, those two the main biggest? Yeah, the, the pharmaceuticals have to do with that specialty drug program that we decided to and we've done a quick little audit, and it looks like it is paying for itself uh, quite substantially. So probably the patient revenue wouldn't be as high as it is without that program. Um, on the purchase services, we're obviously looking at that. I know that's a focus of the, uh, the budget process, and the objective is to you know, transition to more normal operations. And, I was just going to add to uh, this might be material. Uh, the the I think you're, what you're referring to is the AB85 payment that we got back in February. Yeah. Uh, uh, that uh, that form of payment in the form of supplemental payment uh, is is eligible to be adjusted into this. The, the fact that the payment existed or the, uh, was eligible was because there was a variance between what our charges actually were and what the plans actually could pay. Mm -hmm. So as we look at how we negotiate rates with them on a go-forward basis, we, uh, to the extent that some portion or percentage of that is uh, reliable, we can adjust rates drastically right. for that. So, so it would go away of sorts, but in, in many ways it would actually convert, uh, in some ways it would convert to uh, net patient revenue, mm -hmm. so to the, the first line versus the second. I did want to point out this ratio, the compensation ratio, this is really important because as Ellen indicated, labor is our biggest expense. Mm -hmm. And the way you compute the compensation ratio is you take um, salaries and wages, benefits, and registry, add them all together, and then divide by revenues. Okay? And that's currently 66%, but that is a big improvement a year ago. And we'd like to see that down around 60, mm -hmm. but it's a long term plan to get there. Okay? All right, so. Um, and Dave, I have, I have a couple questions too, if we're going to move on.
key takeaway from this is, um, again, regarding operating efficiency, uh, is that our revenues are higher than we expected, which is a really good thing because it's much easier to uh, achieve higher performance if revenues are growing rather than declining. Um, and um, we, our, our overall performance is improving. So this is year-to-date 4%. I think you may recall from the budget discussion where we laid this out by month that I was going to start low and it was going to improve. And, and, and in fact, I was just noticing that in March we actually budgeted to have a 7% even margin. And we did that, we did better than 7%. So, but you, you can expect to see higher levels of March, which is good because um, a key question that you'll be asked and, and to opine on. What should the target be for next year? How efficient can we be next year? Is revenue going to increase or not? And is 5% the right number? I know there's been a lot of you know, concern about that being too aggressive, but year to date we're at four, and for the month we're you know, well in excess of that. Granted, we're pulling some reserves in. So that's, a, that's a key question because it then drives the other side of uh, either, the, either the, the bucket or essentially determines how much cash we can spend next year. Um, and we're going through this strategic planning process, I can tell you there's a lot of stuff needed that we haven't factored into the plan yet. So it's all about balancing how much cash we can generate. And obviously, the higher the surplus, 5%, 6%, whatever, the more cash will be available over the period of time to fund needed projects for the community. So that's at a high level. Now, we're going to drill down a little bit. Uh, this is the heat map. And the purpose of the heat map is to provide you with greater insight into what's going on with our business units. Okay, So again, we've got the business units listed up here, Highland, Fairmont, Behavioral, Ambulatory, you know, all the way across the board. And then again, we've said, OK, well, how are they doing on volume? How are they doing on revenue? How are they doing on expenses? How are they doing overall? So just visually, green is good, red is bad. These are positive or negative variances to budget. Um, and this is for year to date. So uh, what we've seen here is that Highland has improved quite a bit uh, in performance. Uh, one of the things we've been doing is look at these supplemental revenues and we've reallocated based on the latest statistics that we have for the systems that has helped Highland. It has hurt a couple of places like um, uh, Fairmont came down a little bit, but they're still doing fine overall. Um, so Highland has improved. Um, their numbers look pretty good. Uh, Fairmont did extremely well. Uh, the one area that's missing at Fairmont is really the volume. It's, it's just not really like it. Behavioral health, as you know, is just unfortunately full to the brim. So they, they, they operate at, at or above 100% capacity. So that's an issue. Um, and then um, ambulatory, what's really driving this is the volumes of the low budget. So that's a, that's a concern. That's something we're addressing in the uh, budget proposal for next year. But it's sort of when volume is down, it, it makes everything else 
to. Um, then we have San Leandro. The volumes of San Leandro are actually quite good. Uh, the revenue is a little below, but it's kind of a, a contractual uh, issue. Uh, I think in general, I think they're doing well. Expenses are under control. Uh, so really, we need to work on their revenue because we had if we're hitting the revenue numbers, their bottom line would be fine because uh, the volumes are really good and expenses are good. And then here's Alameda. Alameda's pretty much green, green all the way down. Uh, we're just getting met information on professional services, so I'm going to go on that. And then on a consolidated basis, we've already talked about that. So, so how does the on the operating in, on the operating income the uh, Fairmont and San Leandro, when those become one operation, will um, that we, help that or? Yeah, one of the things we're, we're doing, and I'll talk about this when we get to the budget, is we're looking at the um, strategic, strategic business unit structure. And we're trying to align the financial reporting with the strategic business units. Um, and the other thing we, we realize is that the uh, general ledger, talk about the loss in general ledger, um, A is not really being utilized to its capabilities. So we're doing a lot of things manually and accounting that can be automated. Uh, the other thing is that the way we've set up our chart of accounts makes it hard to report, hard to give management or the board information looking at it through different lenses. So we're actually considering, or having Lawson come in and give this presentation, we're saying, well, how can we take advantage of the capabilities of the system, maybe make it more integrated, uh, but also maybe change our, chart, what's called the chart of accounts, so that we can provide better reporting to the board. So that, and that gets to your question of, well, how are you going to report uh, <clears throat> rehab of the San Leandro? We might report them separately. Mm -hmm have the ability to combine them or take, take rehab and combine it with approach to acute care, something like that. We might have the capability to slice and dice the reporting so you look at each other. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> okay, so this, the next is the uh, key metric reporting. One of the reasons I put this in here is that it is a required report to go to the health committee. And we are meeting with the health committee and presenting Monday, the ninth, in the morning. Uh, so they will receive this. <clears throat> um, in general, um, the trends are, uh, I think, improving. Um, the questions that they typically have is, well, how are you doing on third next available? And I think that these have probably improved, but that there's still room to go on third next available appointments. Uh, obviously, most of the um, financial information has improved. You've already seen some of this. Days and accounts receivable are now below the target. Um, they, uh, they are interested in the payer mix, uh, which is something we don't often report here, but uh, in the middle of this report, you can see um, the payer mix by facility, some changes, um, so that's important. And um, let's see. Incidents of preventable harm is reported. We want to be below 0.85. We are, in general, there. And uh, we have our satisfaction ratios, which um, I think get reported only once a year. Um, and we're actually just, in, just starting the uh, annual employee engagement uh, 
survey right now, so we'll probably have that information within a month or two, and also position engagement. Mm -hmm. So can I answer any questions about that before? Oh, I was curious, why are they, to the extent that you have some insight, why are they interested in payer mix? Um, well, I know that one of the recent questions they have is um, <clears throat> how many remaining uninsured are there? And we actually pulled out mm. that data, and I'll be reporting separately to them, but in general, it's about 2% of our patient base are still uh, uninsured. So that's, and they like to see how things are shifting. They're interested in whether um, uh, Medi-Cal managed care is increasing. That, that shows it's on here, but, but it is available. And whether you know traditional Medi-Cal is going down or Medi-Cal managed care is going up, what's happening with Medicare? They're interested in um, how many commercial patients we have, things like that. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. Okay. Um, now I'm shifting to the um, net negative balance forecast. And Jim, as you requested, we've maintained this um, sort of best case, worst case. Um, we're currently at about. Uh, 150, well below the uh, well below the limit. Uh, we're going to stay there until about the middle of June, at which point we've got some supplementals coming in, and we're currently projecting that we'll be between about 120 and 130 million um, at year end. So that would be uh, in compliance and lower than last year. Last year I think it was 137. So so we're looking okay there. And um, I'll just stop and see if there's any questions, and then I'll talk to go to the budget process. Looks so, good. Are there any um, um, anything coming out of the discussions you have with the um, um, your, your your counterparts at the county over this? Because I know you have a lot of you know you have frequent discussions about this. Is there any any well, emerging issues or anything that we should know about? Yeah, the, uh, the discussions with the. Um, the county controller has really just subsided and is extremely happy. We're doing monthly reporting and there's no issues there. Uh, the things that have picked up are the discussions with the healthcare service agencies. We have a number of uh, contractual issues. We're, we're working on the uh, health pack agreement right now and the behavioral mm -hmm. healthcare services agreement. I expect both of those to be done. Um, <clears throat> also, there's interest in coordinating the um, Items that show up on this joint uh, administrative meeting or occur uh, monthly or whenever they are. So uh, there's a lot going on, but it's all, it's all uh, very, um, very constructive, and uh, we're working well as a team together. Great, yeah. fabulous. Yeah, that's what we do, so. Uh, okay, so um, the budget status. There is a um, report. So where we are is we're actually still in process. Um, we uh, expect to have a workable budget by the end of this week. Um, the uh, opening of the new tower sort of delayed everybody because they're all doing that. Uh, but we're rapidly catching up. We, we have done uh, some refinements. We have um, uh, gone back and looked at the volume projections. So we got the um, acute care people together, uh, the executives who are on the care operations and start comparing notes about the new tower, what's going to happen, and uh, where, where will people be transferred, and perhaps we'll open uh, other units to accommodate the, uh, the overflow from Highland. Uh, that was productive. Uh, we also had a meeting with the uh, ambulatory clinics 
to talk about the uh, improvement, uh, operational improvement plan that's currently underway. We refine that, we were able to increase the uh, targets based on that discussion, so that was productive. Um, I mentioned this, but we're looking at the, um, the new SBU structure that's included in the strategic plan and trying to adapt the budget to that. It's quite a bit of work to change financial reporting, but uh, we think if you have a strategy, you've got to have sort of line the financial plan and report it with that. And, um, oh, I'm sorry, SBU is uh, strategic business. Oh, yeah, the, right, right, from a retreat. Okay, mm -hmm. yeah. thank you. Um, we did refine the uh, revenue projections currently. We're, we believe uh, it'll be about 10 to 12 million higher than our original target. So that's good. So about 900 million. Uh, so that's more than we're, uh, I think about a 3% improvement from our current level. Uh, we haven't yet completed the professional. Uh, professional means billing providers like physicians and mid-levels. Um, we had a uh, pretty detailed budget review on uh, all professional services yesterday. And based on that, based on a few additions we, we know about, but also on the uh, revenue cycle improvement project and all the charge capture issues underway, we'll be refining that and that could, that could increase. Uh, and then we're also uh, including in that um, additional dollars to implement the, the Medi-Cal waiver program. About two and a half million is the current, current estimate. Um, so really what's happening this week is these work groups um, are completing uh, their activities, their reviews. I, I saw today that they're starting to put in their changes. Um, and these are, the, these are the work groups. We've got um, uh, John Chapman leading a um, departmental review of every department in the organization. Uh, he's also um, comparing that to productivity targets and industry benchmarks. Uh, David Warmoth is completing a system-wide review of purchase services and consulting. Um, I'm actually working with Dr. Walker on physician services. Uh, Guy Quispard uh, is handling Medi-Cal waiver. And then the business unit profitability will come at the end after we get all the reviews done. We'll, as a group, look at the, uh, the business units and, and uh, make sure we're seeing incremental improvement uh, sort of across the board. So we do expect to complete the first batch this week. We have a um, pretty detailed outline of what we expect to uh, present to the board. Um, we have uh, taken all of the input that we've heard because we really want to make sure that we meet your needs. Uh, and of course, to the extent we don't, uh, we'll have a second shot at it and we'll make sure that we do that. But we're trying to make it a very comprehensive uh, presentation to you. So uh, we're going to start putting that package together and then targeting that first uh, review on May 26th and then have time to come back to you in June with um, more detail or any other questions that you might have. How, how does the staff uh, assess the new SBUs um, and their profitability? Um, what we'll do is we'll take the, um, <clears throat> the existing financial information and put it into that structure so we can see how they're currently doing under that structure and we'll use that Um, Dave, yes. I have a couple of questions. Um, one, one thing is um, you might want to consider doing, uh, I just you know, thinking about the, the last budget review process 
is um, you know, if you get the first pass done this week, maybe finding, you know, doing some kind of a communication to, um, you know, to all the board members to the extent that that makes sense about, you know, about the budget process, just to keep everyone up to date might be a good idea. Okay. Just a thought. If it makes sense, if it makes sense. Um, yeah, I think particularly getting the uh, <clears throat> the um, outline of what we're going to be giving would be helpful, and perhaps you could give us feedback uh, before we yeah. get there if we're missing something that you want to hear about. Yeah. Oh, you did. I still can. Okay, great. Yeah, it's enough to speak. Well, and I've been keeping that. 26 agenda as tied around budget and without adding other other things onto it would be most helpful. Um, I I did think last year one of the things was very helpful was um, you know that we heard from you know, you know, the uh, the operators the business unit. Um, we were laughing you know. because we just had a bunch of oversight but we sort of debated that. Do you want is that helpful? Or how do people feel about you know yeah. having a number of presenters? Well, I thought I thought it, personally I thought it was helpful just because um, you know you got to see it, it wasn't just a, a finance show or a CEO show. It was um, you know I, I think we got to see everyone's level of commitment to achieving the budget, and at least to me that was I mean. That was that was helpful to me, um, and I, I thought it was reasonably well orchestrated as well. Thank you, Jim. What was the part that was helpful? What 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 was the issue that you saw? What was helpful? What was helpful to me was I think a lot of time, like I've been, you know, a lot of budget presentations that I've been to, you have the CEO talking or the CFO, and maybe the CEO talking for a long period of time. And that's great, but to have all of the operators standing up and talking from their, you know, talking from their perspective, there's a there's a greater richness that you get from the conversation, and I think that you see, you know, a commitment from the entire management team, and and those two things I think can be, you know, from the presenter's perspective is powerful, but also I think from the you know, the listener's perspective, it, it, I think it, it, it creates a greater sense of confidence. I mean, to me, that's one of the things that gave me confidence that um, while we had a very difficult budget to achieve, that it was achievable because everyone was standing up and saying, yeah, I'm going to do it. So that's what was helpful to me. So, see, from my perspective, I, I don't hold those individuals accountable. I hold the CEO accountable. And as a result, um, and, and unless you know the variation, some smile and they wear something different. And I mean, there is variety in having different people come up. But in terms of the bottom line, I don't hold those individuals accountable as a board member. I hold the CEO accountable. And um, I'm assuming that they go to the CEO and to David and say, here's my budget. So I don't find the need to have everybody do that, but I'm just one voice. Um, uh, uh, you know, then it, it, to me it becomes a show 
and not a substantive talk about the budget. Because I'm not going to ask an individual uh, the hard question. I'm going to ask David of the CEO. Um, and, and that's why I think that it makes it not as accountable to have everybody stand up as opposed to mm -hmm. the CEO. So that would be my perspective. Okay. All right. I mean, I still view it as the accountability goes to the CEO and to the um, and, and, and to the CFO to deliver it, but um, to make it come true. But I, I find I just find that there's a richness there. So the, those are two those are those are two different voices. Okay, thanks we'll, for that. We'll try to strike a balance. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I mean, at, at the end of the day, they'll vacuate. You know, it's your shop. Um, the um, let's see what else. Are, are we are we kind of at the end of that? Yeah, I think so. I think we're going to move to okay. the CIO report. Okay. And reduce Mr. Graham. I, I was just going to give you one more one one other thing that was on my mind. That um, one thing that I would I would personally be interested in seeing you know coming out of the budget discussion is. How is you know? How is AHS going to become a better organization? Where better organization is, we're delivering better patient care, or we're making it a better place to work. We're a better member of the community, um, you know, because it's you know the budget is there to achieve some operational goal, not just to achieve a bottom line. And so, to the extent that that comes out, I think that would be also helpful to me. Okay. Thanks. You know, or, or and I, I I won't be specific because then I, I don't want to create any expectations. You know, like our goal is to do this. You know, as part of our goal to do this to patient care. You know, what? See what I mean? this month I included four specific items uh, that are listed on the slide there, the information technology long-range plan, uh, an update on the Eddie Go Live, uh, and what happened there. Uh, just some feedback on the MIDAS implementation. It's a contract we approved probably over a year ago and just giving an update on, on progress on that. And it's, it, it's a, it's a, it is a big project and has big implications to the organization. And then just an update on the MedTech downtime that was included in the weekly update and I just wanted to give you a little more depth of discussion on that uh, in today's discussion because it is a is an IT technical issue uh, that happens with that. So on the long-range plan, we've completed uh, our interviews with the, with the two finalist uh, consulting firms we're looking at. Um, those happened yesterday and today, and so later this week we'll be finalizing that decision process or at least continuing that discussion to see if we need more information from the consultants to make our decision uh, to move forward. Just as a reminder on that, and I think David shared this last month when I was away, um, it is to really create a five-year plan for us, really look at a good assessment of our current technology in place, rank those systems about their capabilities and, and ability to meet the needs of the organization as it lines up with the new strategic plan of the organization and the strategic business units. So it's key that we look at what we have and how well that will meet our needs in the future, whether it will or won't, uh, so we can invest appropriately to that uh, along with all the other significant investments we need to make as an organization. Uh, so along with that, then looking at our architecture and reviewing that as well to make sure we've got the right technical infrastructure in place to support the things we want to do with the applications that we have. That's really meant servers and network and, and the right type of, of 
desktop environment that we created, so the technical components of what go there. And then really looking at organizational review and readiness assessment to, to handle what we need to do to allow the new technology to support those strategic business units and the new strategic plan. So, so really, are we ready for this change and, and ready for, uh, if the plan includes replacing the EHR, what would that take for to be ready to do that? So that we don't go, don't rush into a process of saying we need to replace it and go before we really look at are we ready, what needs to be in place to make us more effective in that. Um, so we don't have a, a poor implementation done uh, on a system. So really that's what's behind that, that long-range planning and what we're trying to accomplish there. Questions on that topic before I move yeah, to that? Remind me who's, who's involved in that, the, the various players in, involved in this? In, internally? Uh -huh, internally, in internally. This process. So it's our IS steering committee, which includes um, Devecchio, myself, David, uh, uh, Kinsey, uh, the CAOs, Involved with that, and Joe Walker from the Dr. Walker. And so from you have, the, from you have the medical, the clinical. Right. Input. We we include in this process the co-chairs of our EHR selection committee to give us feedback on as well, which includes physicians and staff okay. uh, at the director level throughout the organization. All right. Then I'll move on to the Eddie Live. Uh, it went live last Thursday. Uh, within the first hour, we already had a hit on the database where a patient appeared in our ED and we received information on their six visits throughout the last year at other, really? at, other at, at Summit and at Highland. Um, so we saw what they presented with and what their primary complaint was, or their chief complaint is when they showed up in the ED, so we could see why was that patient make, getting access to the ED. Uh, and it was very enlightening on the very first day, in the very first wow. hour that it was live. So we think this is going to be very valuable to our ED and to the San Leandro ED when they come live later this month. Uh, so, but, so but tell us the rest of the story. So you got all this great information, and then what happened? Well, then it comes down to the care management of that patient. How do we treat them better? Do they have a primary care physician? Or are they using the ED as their primary care? Six visits in a year probably means you're not seeing a primary care provider. And so right. how do we manage that patient with social services to get them to the right, to the right venue for their care? Move them and from the, high risk to low risk. Uh, move them from high cost to lower cost, yes. Because they're not actually a high risk patient, right? They're, they're, they're having Still medium low rising risk. potential for rising risk because they don't have multiple chronic conditions. That's really, right. they just have conditions that they're, that they're seeking care in the ED. <laughs> and we're trying to move them to, to a better, more appropriate level of care. Okay, so in that particular case, do you know if that, you know, if the steps were taken? I mean, it's up to the patient to do something, right? But were the steps taken then to start directing that person to an appropriate level of care if that's what was determined was needed? Right. I, I don't have the specific patient level of okay. what happened to that patient. But, it, but it, it's now giving the provider information they didn't have before that's right. about this patient. So that's great. We okay. only do that if the patient chose to come to Highland multiple times. We might see six visits at Highland and say this is a high utilizer, not knowing that they've had 10 additional visits at other EDs in the area that's right. to make them a really mm -hmm. high utilizer of the ED services. So this new system helps us. Um, Sutter's committed to bring Eden on uh, probably later this month as well. Uh, they're talking with Kaiser and other Bay Area hospitals about also joining the system and having this truly be the whole region-wide review of this and really see where patients are, are seeking care. And, and it, it, in seeking that care, is there is there something about whether or not these are individuals who are documented and, and undocumented citizens? My, because my gut tells me that undocumented since they, the Affordable Care Act is not yet in California, that the likelihood is that they go to the emergency room. Yeah. 
So are we keeping that kind of data? Is it that, is that, that so, refined? So just a, a slight edit on that. So the ACA is in California, the Affordable Care Act. Uh, uh, it is no, I didn't mean that. I meant you talk about for the remaining uninsured yes. nationwide. Nation. That is a challenge. That the, the people, the vast majority of people who are still uncovered in the country are the people who are undocumented. California actually went ahead or, or, or went further than many states in that California has approved uh, uh, coverage for undocumented children. Uh, so, and that actually. Um, extension of that actually just happened recently, I believe, in April. Yeah, it was there was a different part of it earlier, but it was something else that just happened recently, so I forget what it is. Um, uh, and I think it may be Medi-Cal, or I don't know what it is. So anyway, um, that was not something that was required in the ACA. The state took the, took the initiative to do that. Um, uh, so to your question, though, not necessarily. A, high, a, a person who is high utilizing uh, in the ED uh, could actually be somebody with coverage, uh, but coverage doesn't confer access. So they could be somebody who has coverage and doesn't have a primary care provider, or it could be somebody who has coverage and has a primary care provider but doesn't know how to engage the system. Um, uh, any host of any number of things. So, so it's not necessarily that it is uh, reflective of the fact that the person doesn't have Then talk about the minus implementation. I just wanted to share that, that we are up and using the comply product, which is uh, really measures where we're at with joint commission and state standards uh, and CMS standards to just help us make sure that we're got every, we have everything covered. It was used during the Alameda process uh, in their preparation to get ready for joint commission, and I think was extremely valuable to them in identifying what areas need to be worked on. It's continually worked on with uh, with all of our facilities as we look at staying current with the standards and, and measuring on a routine basis. And so that's how Comply gets used to do that. Uh, the rest of it is kind of in the report, just to update you on where we're going and, and how things are moving along. Uh, the next big step is uh, the care management starting up in July, uh, as we look at that and continue to, to build the product uh, to get ready for that type of life day. Um, so let, let, unless there's questions on MIDAS, that was mentally, meant as a, just an update of what, what's going on with that major project. Okay. Uh, into the Meditech downtime then, it, it was an um, un unfortunate series of events that led us to this, and we uncovered uh, more problems than we knew initially. We knew the equipment in place at Alameda was old and in need of replacement, and we had a good plan in place to take equipment out of the H building, 
we've, we've decommissioned that earlier this month, uh, where they have moved all the patients to ECC. We have a lot of equipment there that is good equipment in good working order that had to be essentially replaced uh, in the ACT because the ACT, ACT had to be up and running. We didn't have the midnight move everything over type of stability, right? Patients were in the building um, on the same day, in both buildings on the same day, so both infrastructures had to be up and running. So we're, our plan now is to take that equipment that wasn't Highland in the H building and move that to Alameda to replace their old and H equipment. Uh, that plan is continuing and it's already started and already happened. So we're taking switches out of H, moving them over to Alameda, getting them in place and, and transitioning all that work to build the network infrastructure because it was in um, terrible disrepair and poorly configured. Uh, just the way everything was put together. Um, think about a daisy chaining power cords. Uh, we were daisy chaining networks and, and that's just not a good way to do the network. Um, so we, we've not blessed them for what they were able to do with what they had, right? It was really not, well, not healthy. And what is the age of the stuff that we're sending to them? Probably? Yeah, it's probably about three years old. Three? Oh, that's yeah, not three, three to five. So okay. it's, it's still in the it's future life, still, okay. Under, okay. Uh, still under some warranty period, and still in as a current version of hardware that the vendor sells. Okay. So it's not an end of life. Uh, we are looking at some of the equipment that is at Highland that might be end of life, but it's still better than what Alameda has that we may be transitioning and moving because it, it's better than what we have in place. And, and as we work through the process of upgrading what they have, it's, it's worthwhile to make those changes. Yeah, and, and do you have a replacement plan? I mean, is there is there that replacement plan? That yes, that, that's part of the infrastructure building with the new architecture as we look at the, at the five-year plan of how do we look at how our service group replaced, how do we upgrade. Uh, the last piece of this was there, there was a, an age server at Alameda that was one of the primary servers of Meditech that we have a plan in place to move that all over to Redwood City, which is where our data center is, and put it on new hardware in our virtualized environment. So um, part of our virtualized environment is that, that servers aren't, there are physical servers that run virtual servers. So lots and lots of servers exist in one physical server. And there are multiple physical servers that all back each other up. And the way the system works, a virtual server can move around if there's a specific hardware failure seamlessly. The system automatically moves them if there's a hardware failure in one server. It will automatically take that server and say, I'm just going to move this over here where it's not having a problem and run it over there. At, at Alameda right now, that is one server that has one place of failure in it. And if that one piece of hardware breaks, the system goes down. And that's what happens. As one thing breaks, it's a single point of failure, and we're trying to eliminate all single points of failure in the system. And so as you daisy chain those that equipment, any one piece of breaks brings the whole thing down. Christmas lights. Yes. Excellent, excellent simile to that. Yes, Christmas lights would be that. One light goes out, the whole scene goes out. One piece of that string goes out, it doesn't work anymore. So we, we've identified those things. We, we, we have known about the difficulty with the network. We, as we dug deeper into this specific problem, we learn much more about that difficulty and how it needs to be fixed and remediated. It's not a small project. It is a big project to do. Um, that daisy chaining was not known, uh, but part, part of this plan of replacement will fix all of that. So lots of work to do. We have not eliminated the full risk yet at doing this. While we've updated some of the equipment, there are still some risk in how it's put together that needs to be remediated. So I didn't want to I'll paint a picture that says, that's great, we got it all fixed. There's still a lot to do. 
No, go ahead. Thanks. Um, the, the communication with the Alameda staff as a whole and with their board, um, have you met with that group so that there's an understanding of, well, my fear is that now that we're involved, the system is a larger and, and Alameda has had, uh, I think, growing pains coming into the system as, as a unit, um, that I would hate for there to be this, I told you so, you know, that, are you communicating with that group of people and not just with the management, but who do you talk to at Alameda so that this is understood? Yeah, so we, so this is relatively still new information that we found here on this. So we've had some discussions with Bonnie. Uh, I don't know to the extent that Bonnie's communicated that to the board. I have not met with the board directly. We have talked with the medical staff about where we're at and where things are happening through the MEC, um, but but this is still fairly fresh on where we're at. It is going to take some significant downtime to move the Meditech system from Alameda out to Redwood Data Center, and we need to communicate that well about what that change will look like. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to suggest, Del Vecchio, that maybe Dave even talks with Tracy as our, you know, and, and let Tracy know what's happening so that you have somebody there besides Bonnie who, in fact, can help spread the word about what this issue is. I'm just concerned about as you as your plans get solidified, you know, how, how will that, you know, look? Is it gonna be like one flip of the switch when you get that whole change happen or gradually that change readiness process with the people, like as you're working on the processes has to be very, very well thought out um, as well. So you know no um, no people just push back, you know try to think about all the different uh, barriers and you know, challenges you might be having and how to mitigate people's worries and things. You think that, you know, given such a crappy system that they have, this would be significant for them, but then we're just making sure that that transition goes well. We know we have great plans in our mind. Implementation is often very, you know, is the challenge. Yeah, the, the change management on this is a, is a little bit less because we're not changing the system itself. We're just changing the servers that it runs on and the network that supports it that sends the data around. Uh, the impact is the downtime uh, because if do yeah. we have good downtime procedures in place, do they know what to do with the systems down? The real difficulty in this downtime was it was it was intermittent and affected different areas of the hospital differently. So on the inpatient unit, the system was running slowly, but in the inpatient that was okay on some units that the amount of transactions they needed to process were low and the slow system was tolerable. In the emergency department, totally unacceptable. Right? The throughput they needed to get done couldn't have the system work that slowly and it was there was additional impacts of the ED that made it even slower in the ED. And so the ED essentially said, we have to go to downtime. We can't use the system. The floor said, well, we'll stay up on the system. Well, now your sums manual, sums in the downtime procedures sums in the online system, which makes it more complicated as well. So managing that, when is downtime downtime, and how do we manage that, and what should the work processes be, is a lot of work that we started with Alameda. Uh, fortunately, a couple months ago, when we first started about making this transition from Alameda to the Redwood Data Center, uh, we found very little downtime procedures in place. And so we said we need 12 hours of downtime, and they were like, hair on fire, there's no way we can handle 12 hours of downtime, and so we worked with them to identify processes that they could manage that. 
And then we went back and said, how can we change this to not have 12 hours of downtime? Because that really adversely impacts the, the institution and how they care for the patients. Sure. And we don't want to have that. Thank you. So lots of work still to do on this transition plan to, to minimize that downtime uh, and do it the right way uh, while, while still ensuring the system is safe and, and available for use while we do that planning. So um, I see we're on, doing really well on time. Uh, we, yeah. We, we continually look for uh, we continually look for opportunities to uh, educate the committee on uh, uh, items of interest. And uh, Kathy Wada, who's one of our key managed care strategists, uh, came across this presentation, which is really talking about how the purchasing community looks at the delivery system. And all this, I believe, is directly applicable to what our uh, how our plans come in. So I'd like to introduce Kathy Watt. Thank you, David. Um, I'm a member of the Bay Area Healthcare Contractors Association, and Emma Hu, I'm not Emma Hu, I'm Kathy Wada, presented this to that group. And I had some observations in here that were directly applicable to what we're seeing now in uh, the new waiver that we're living in. So what I'll do today is not go through this presentation and pretend I'm Emma Who. Instead, I would like to uh, draw your attention to some of the content and tell you how that is directly applicable to us in the world in which we live. So this is a different kind of presentation. If it feels disjointed, I apologize for that. I promise I will pull it all together at the very end, okay? Um, <clears throat> And Kathy, if you could do me a favor, if you're going to sort of skip around, just let me know which slide number you're on so I can track along with it. Will do. And, yeah. Okay. Thank you. And, David, may I click? Thank you. So, I'll start. Um, <clears throat> certainly, PBGH, so I'm on slide number two. PBGH has been around a long time, and in essence, they have one big mission, and that's value. Value in terms of that value equation, which is quality plus service plus access divided by cost. That's first and foremost on their mind. I'm going to go ahead and flip to the next slide, slide number three. PBGH, the Pacific Business Group on Health, is an association of very large employers. And you'll see these employers are primarily based out of the western states, but PBGH has had such an impact nationally. Walmart's in here. And I'll just draw your attention to, to two symbols in here, and then I'll say something more about that later. In the lower right-hand side, you'll see Stanford. Or uh, lower right side, you'll see uh, the UC system, Board of Regents. In the lower left side, you'll see Stanford. A key point about this particular slide is most of the health care paid for by these employers is through a self-insured benefit plans. What that means is that they have great flexibility to stimulate innovation. So I'm going to move on to the, the next slide, which is slide four. Page 50, Jim. Thank you. Oh, thanks. Um, and Emma is responsible for one of the four project paths that PBGH has 
her pathway is called transparency. What that means in my language is that transparency makes it very apparent to the purchaser and the consumer what they're buying. How they do that is with sharing very rich data and cost data with the purchasers and the consumer. And it also means including incentives for both purchaser and consumer to buy services differently than what is customary in the delivery system. The other three pathways that PBGH has are for pay for value. The additional one is redesigning the care delivery system. They're not on this particular slide. And then the fourth one is they uh, have a mission to influence healthcare policy at the legal and regulatory level. So I'm going to go ahead and flip to the next page, which is titled Why and Now. And I'm going to tell you, this was the page that drew my attention and why I sent this over to David. Remember, PBGH is the commercial insurance world. They really don't have anything to do with Medicaid, Medi-Cal, and, and Medicare for retirees, kind of, sort of, but that's more on the supplemental side of things and for the working aged, which isn't really Medicare anyway. But they have an entire slide here talking about how the market is changing. Referencing the 1115 waiver, Medicare value-based purchasing, and their last bullet point references covered California, which has nothing to do with these large employers. Covered California is for small businesses and individuals. And also Medi-Cal presenting opportunities. So what does that mean to us? To, to me, it means two things. One really important thing is today, commercial insurance is living in a world of cost shifting. They pay two, three, four, five times what it costs for a service because of underpayment for indigent, uninsured, and the Medi-Cal population that doesn't cover costs. With more money coming into the total payment system, making the pie larger, that's going to decompress the spread for that cost shifting. So these employers are going to put a whole lot of pressure at reducing commercial compensation everywhere. That's point number one. Point number two is um, more paying populations being added to the mix can actually help spread the value in these programs they're bringing to the table. My word for that is pull through. You've got a great case management program, uh, you might focus it on your commercial population, but practitioners become accustomed to doing something a certain way. It pulls the good practices through and benefits the entire population over time. So two key points about why, why would it be important for them to reference these? Those are two key reasons. On to the next page. This is a Numbered slide number six, which is titled Purchaser Focus Shifts Over Time. PBGH actually started in the mid-80s, even though their slide references the 1990s. And I remember because I was there. 
Um, and all, all this really is a, is a timeline showing how they've evolved as an association and as purchasers of care over time. The key point here is the commercial world, including the providers, have 25 to 30 years of experience innovating in different delivery systems. So that's a key point with this particular slide, and I'm going to keep moving. I mentioned I was going to bypass a couple of slides, and part of that is because they're very focused on commercial insurance. And I'm going to flip to slide the slide titled Purchaser Adoption of ACO Strategies. Slide 55. And there's a couple right. of key points I'd like to make here. First, what this is depicting are these major employers and some of the programs they've entered into with both plans, which they call their sponsors or partners, and the providers. And I'll draw your attention to... Sorry, Kathy. Sorry, can you Oh, thank you. Great. I'll draw your attention to the provider payment column. And there are some industry terms here I'd like to draw your attention to. Namely, you'll see a case management fee, shared risk, gain sharing, shared savings, shared savings, shared risk in that provider payment column. What shared savings means is that when the cost expected for healthcare is below what it's expected to be, the provider physicians and the hospitals share in that savings typically with someone else. The someone else may be the plan and it may be the employer and sometimes it's all three parties. What gain sharing is is really the same thing as shared savings. Shared risk means those providers have skin in the game. They have downside responsibility if they expend costs above their budget. So those providers are also sharing in those cost overages. What that does is completely change the incentives, drive a lot of attention, make a good case for creating an infrastructure for doing things very differently than what they have in the past. The second point on this slide I'd like to draw your attention to is the bottom row, which is titled Stanford. Now Stanford participates as an employer, but notice their plan sponsor is Blue Shield. Their product is an EPO, and EPO is a restricted network, like an HMO. It's just funded fee-for-service under a self-insured umbrella. That's the only difference between an EPO and an HMO. It is an ACO, which implies there are all kinds of structures and incentives, and you'll see shared risk. The reason this is important to us is Stanford is probably the largest purchasers of providers in Alameda County, and it's some of the top-end providers, including the largest primary care practice in the city of Alameda. Stanford, just within the last two days, was identified as one of the most prof profitable hospitals in the United States of America, you know, uh, earnings of $225 million, and that's, that's one hospital. 
it, it's not like Center Health with 38 hospitals. Um, and um, why that's real of interest to us has everything to do with Alameda and the city of Alameda. And that is, not only does this arrangement apply to the Stanford self-insured population, it also applies to Blue Shield and their EPO product with Stanford. We happen to have terminated the Blue Shield arrangement because of significantly below market compensation. Blue Shield has not been interested in engaging with us, and I think this is why. Blue Shield is more than happy to pay us a discount for emergency services, but they're not going to be referring elected cases to us because their infrastructure doesn't support that. It supports referrals going to the other participants in that ACO. So that's why I'm, I'm drawing your attention to this bottom row. I'm going to skip the next two slides, and I'm going to actually go to the one called the Continuum of Risk and Integration. This is where, one more, um, this is where PBGH is depicting really the financial incentive evolution from fee-for-service 25 years ago to case management fees, shared savings only, professional capitation, onto case rates for hospitals, moving to episodic bundled payment regardless of who the provider is who delivers care within that episode. Our organization is at the fee-for-service end with regard especially to the Medi-Cal population. The rest of the in commercial industry is at the other end where all the players in this market have familiarity with that bundle payment and they have the infrastructure that supports this. Kathy, I'm so sorry. You use, and I've just gotten confused as you've moved, the pronouns we and they and the we is HS. So I think when I say we, that, that's, that's fine. I just, you know, this, because we put your name in here. Right, and not Emma. And I assume oh. that you were part of the business group. Oh, no, so no, you no. keep saying the we, I'm sorry. and I don't know you, and so I'm, no, I'm thinking, sorry. Where is the, and so I'm trying, I beg your pardon, I so no, it, it's fine now, I'm okay, so, yeah. yeah okay, so. Kathy's the, along with me, kind of the architects of our contracting strategy and also works in position contracting, uh, and she really liked the redesign of the entire contracting function. Well, nice to meet you. Hi, how are you? And, and she's now on the resident. Oh. Which is why I'm working. I'm a retiree that have a past working relationship with David, and he pulled me out of retirement because I live here. And I well, I, I apologize. I just that's okay. So we 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 is us. Okay. So and that's that's, that's how I can. Okay. So okay. Um, so I, I, I'm going to go ahead and uh, I mentioned this would be disjointed because I'm not Emma Who, and I wanted to pull this together. Why? I think that David felt there were some messages in here that were important to deliver to the trustees as part of the education. And that is first, the public funding 
expectations under waiver, which include prime, my word for prime is paper performance or paper value, the uh, GPP, which is that global program payment, and I might have the words messed up, payment program, that's capitation or episodic care, the whole person care, that's chronic condition case management or population management. All of these things have been well developed on the commercial side, and I think it's even clearly stated by the federal government that informed this waiver that we live with. Second point is this cost-shifting spread decrease might create some interesting dynamics. We don't know how much this cost shifting is going to occur. For the next five years, it's probably not going to be that much. After that, I would expect it to be more. In the long run, 10 years from now, we may see more players deem the Medi-Cal market to be attractive because there's more funding with the infrastructure to manage populations. By the same token, we may become more attractive to the commercial world because we've got more to offer on the table similar to what the commercial programs have. So this convergence is going to be very meaningful. The third point is the ACO arrangements that we are not a part of, we will not be able to impact by gaining elective referrals. Almost every health plan is working with an organized physician group in our community now, and we're not part of that ACO. We don't know that, we can't see that, other than we know we're not seeing the elective referrals we used to, and that may have nothing to do with the payer contracts that we don't have. We're probably not gonna see those referrals anyway. The fourth point is that Incentives in our world, in the public payment world, in the public provider world, must have incentives that reach physicians. We need to incentivize them to use their time differently, to spend more time than what they have before without compensation, and to reward them for successful results. What, what is a, what is what does an incentive look like? What, what, I mean? So I mentioned that term, a shared savings. So there may be a bucket of money per patient, four bucks per member per month. That may be applied to 20, 30, 40,000 people. That funds a bonus program for which you structure criteria for payment, payment going to physicians. So that's an incentive that's extremely common, has existed in the 30 years that I've been in managed care in the commercial world. We've got to figure out how to structure incentives to ask physicians to take more time, to change how they work, to think differently, and to use different tools than what they had before. Another key point here is our vehicle for this is Alameda Health Partners. Without Alameda Health Partners, I don't know how we do it. So Alameda Health Partners is critical to our success. The fifth and final point I'd like to make on this is, I've mentioned Stanford and UCSF. 
Their footprints are both growing in Alameda County. Stanford has a very large research facility in Emeryville, and they're opening up very large retail space. They will siphon elective referrals with, by virtue of their name alone. It's important for us to understand that. The second point about UCSF, UCSF is in two new joint ventures. One is Bacon, for which we're at the table. The second one is a separate company that their uh, partners with John Muir Health Network or John Muir Health System, where they will be building a facility north of us, and that's all we know. So key point about their presence in our county, and that will certainly result in some type of change within the next couple of years. So I, um, those are the, the key points I wanted to share with you regarding this presentation. I apologize for the confusion. I, I kind of, um, as I thought about this uh, when I was preparing uh, today, let, let me give you an opportunity um, to ask, ask questions. Now, I, I want you to know that I thought your presentation was very good. It was, it was great. I followed you all the way, and it was my own because I thought you meant us, but I went. And so, yeah, but no, this was a great presentation. I want that last slide. You can have it. <laughs> Actually, I'll send it to David. That, that has the highlights. Great presentation. Yeah. I'll send it to David. Very good. Thank you, Kathy. Yeah. Um, so, Kathy, what would you do if you were us? I, I do exactly what you're doing. And I, you know, my, my, I feel like my role here is kind of unique in that I'm an advisor and a coach, and I prefer not to work. Uh, and I'd like to do as little work as possible. And as a consultant, I We work. all do. We all yeah. do. So. I'm one of those purchase services, um, but uh, what, what I very fr freely do is transfer uh, my trade secrets to the people that work here and want to be in the background as an advisor. Once in a while, do a special project when there's no one else able to do it, but um, I think we're heading down the right path. I'm one of the advisors in the population health area. I'll certainly be providing some assistance in moving toward the infrastructure component implementation. Um, and th there are some great people that are working here, Ira for one, and yes, I did help recruit him to come here because I know the value he brings. Um, but also our director for pair contracting is actually qu quite skilled at the work she does. So I think that uh, um, what I'm bringing here are the, the pieces that we don't have experience with in helping people move it forward. So it's, it's all in the right direction. Thank you. Thanks, Kathy. Okay. Early. Thank you. Right. So, 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 um, Dave Nelvecchio, to the extent, so as your, um, I mean, is this presentation or, you know, or, or, or the concepts in here, is that informing you of, um, you know, how you're adapting to the, um, you know, to, the, to this new world? <laughs> uh, 
I, I guess what I'm getting at is to the extent that you're bringing things forward to the board and saying, hey, we think we should do this or that or the other thing, um, you know, it would be helpful to tie it back to a presentation like this as a kind of a strategic construct. Yeah, I, I get well, uh, obviously, uh, Jim, we, we, uh, we missed you at the retreat uh, uh, at the end of last week, but I think a lot of... Um, are, 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 you, are, you, are you saying you covered that and I wasn't there? No, but I was going to suggest, well, well, kind of, sort of. What I was going to say, there were a lot of, yeah, the context of, of what Kathy just presented okay. was, was uh, narrowed to the context of, of safety nets, although the, uh, uh, we did start with a broad presentation that was... Uh, uh, delivered by the advisory board that was broadly on population health and we sort of zeroed in in successive layers from there. So so the context is is a, a local uh, market assessment that mm -hmm. extends beyond, uh, that Kathy just uh, provided, extends beyond our world but comes at it, uh, comes into our world from a different vantage point and a lens that then further informs, as she was saying, the, the uh, the providence of, of uh, the direction that we're trying to take and, and that we're heading mm -hmm. in. And as she mentioned, she's, she's uh, working with us internally too on how that, uh, how that looks uh, uh, on, on paper uh, as we formulate those plans to get buy-in internally and then to bring it to you in the, in the form of a strategic plan. Okay, well let's leave it at this. Great minds think alike, how's that? Well, that's very kind of you. Uh, you know, Jim, were, I'm sorry that you did miss the retreat. It was probably, it was certainly the best one I, I attended since yeah. I've been on the board. So. Well, uh, and I wish I were there too, yeah, but. I know, I know, I know you have other things. But, but I did want to let you know that it was really very comprehensive and it started, um, it, I think all of us felt much more educated when we left and um, certainly we have a better understanding of of the direction we're going. So you're ahead of us, but for folks like me, right. it was, it was well, very Well, uh, my, 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 my spies tell me that it was an excellent meeting, that it should have been. So, spies. okay. <laughs> All right, well, I think we well, to uh, committee planning. Committee planning, uh, I think we've touched on this a little bit, but um, <clears throat> let's see. I mean, I think the committee planning really is, we got a budget coming up. That's the big planning part for the next couple of sessions, right? Yeah, we, we do. And actually, there's been a change in what's in your package. I reflected on the screen here. But uh, Deb Barnes had uh, asked to delay her presentation right. on philanthropic opportunities to the June meeting. So she will be presenting next time. She's tied up with the game. Okay. That's the big event. And as I mentioned, uh, May 9th, we will be presenting to the uh, health all right, and I guess with the planning calendar, you may want to um, start extending that to the balance of the year. Yeah, I'll do that. Thanks. Got that. Um, any trustee comments on the planning calendar? Yep. Okay. Well, then, um, let's see, let me go back to the agenda. Um, so, uh, Susanna, are there any requests for public comment? No. Okay. Any other trustee comments of any sort? No. Okay. Anybody have any comments? Is anyone alive? All right. Uh, well, then I would, um, unless, unless there's something else to say, I would um, 
note that it's not even six o'clock, and I will adjourn the meeting. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody.